0: For Mid Atlantic Broadcasting, I'm Connor Avery Tuxton, and this is Painted Seas The Murder of Jerry Quinn. I distinctly remember watching my first episode of Monty Python as a kid and being completely mesmerized. I had never seen something so bizarre before in all my life. And I remember the phrase that they used to say was, and now for something completely different and they would even get freakier. and I thought to myself. Who's coming up with this stuff? Like, whose mind works in that direction? Now, after watching countless hours of video that Duffy compiled of the artists that Jerry brought to Cape June, I have that same feeling again. Like, these people are beyond bizarre. I don't think there's ever been a group of artists assembled in one place that are so strange. The types of art they do, their lifestyle, their mannerisms. None of them, none of them are normal. It was clear that Jerry was going for something completely different than the art festival had ever witnessed. This interview I did with him in early April 2019 reveals as much. What do you think is the problem with the art festival?
1: There's lots of problems. There's zero vision, and not a single person on that committee is an artist. Not one. They wouldn't know good art if it crawled up their urethras and died.
0: (laughs) That's certainly an interesting take on it. I could see that being problematic.
1: You think? These people are happy with the status quo. They don't know any better, so they keep bringing back the same tired artists who keep coming here for the last 30 years. Then some fucking boring douche-dozzle from the Yacht Club interviews them for three-quarters of an hour. It's dead on arrival. How many times can you talk about where you got this inspiration to paint the clipper ship in a storm that looks exactly like all the other clipper ships you painted in a storm? It's fucking torture. They do it every year.
0: How does your vision, the vision of Jerry Quinn, differ from theirs?
1: How doesn't it? I want this festival to be a living, breathing space Spectacular of artistic expression. And I've got the artists. Jello, this is Jazz Cordoba. And this is my official uh, application to the uh, Painted Seas Festival. Uh, I am a finger painter. I use my middle fingers to showcase my art. I love to paint the fishes and the sailboats, the sailboats in the harbour. And I like to paint the sun, the sun in the sky, as it reflects off of the sea. I hope that you will accept me into your festival. I am Jazz Cordova,
0: finger painter. In order to fully appreciate Jazz Cordoba, you have to picture a man who is very large in stature. He stands six foot eight inches tall and wears platform shoes for good measure. He has a thick, jet black mane of hair that swooshes down and covers one of his eyes. And Jazz is a very stocky man who wears these form-fitting jumpsuits or onesies, I don't know what you'd call them, but the pant legs flare out and so do the sleeves. But the crowning piece of Jazz Cordoba's wardrobe are these bedazzled lace gloves that he wears on each hand. Only all of the fingers are cut out except for the middle finger. That's the finger he paints with and pleasures his audience with as he dramatically waves it through the air. Jazz Cordoba the finger painter is certainly unusual, but the next artist I'm about to introduce is downright frightening. This artist paints on huge canvases by literally throwing severed and disemboweled fish and animal carcasses toward the canvas, causing streaks of blood and bodily fluid and sinew stains. His mother was a butcher and his father a crime scene photographer, so perhaps that explains his unnatural obsession with blood and guts and gore and all of it. Meet Crimson. Oh, and by the way, it's Crimson with a K.
1: The most beautiful phenomenon in all the world occurs in the ocean. It is a dance of blood and flesh and power. It is the feeding frenzy, oft imitated, too perfect to be duplicated. I use whatever I have at my disposal to bring these frenzies to life on land. If you are squeamish and cannot handle the sight of guts, plasma, and bodily fluids on a 20 by 20
0: canvas, then I am not the artist you are looking for. I thought the next artist, Ronnie Zane, would be relatively normal, especially after meeting Jazz, the middle-fingered finger painter, and Crimson, the graduate of the Charles Manson School of Painting. But I was wrong. Ronnie Zane's art is quite unique for one reason. It is exclusively about sex. And not any kind of sex, but sex with mythical female creatures called sirens. Meet Ronnie Zane.
1: My art is definitely NSFW. Not safe for work. I create sculptures of sexy sirens. Sirens are super dangerous and super hot. Look at this hottie. Made her from resin. BAM! Tell me you wouldn't do it with her. You would. I mean, damn, she's so fine. The name's Ronnie Zane. My friends call me Insane Zane.
0: As I was trying to figure out whether Ronnie Zane used real female models or whether he just used photographs from Hustler magazine for his sirens, I realized that I had missed two voicemail calls that sort of pulled me out of the rabbit hole of watching eccentric artists and slammed me right back into the reality that I was investigating a murder the brutal, depraved murder of an artist only a little more than a month ago, and worse. I seem to be the only one in town doing the investigating. The first call came from Captain Theodore Pethybridge, the pompous president of the Cape May Yacht Club, the same gentleman who, right before the festival, threatened to keelhaul me for mentioning the name of Jerry Quinn on his vessel. This time around, though, Captain Pethybridge took a markedly different tack. In the interest of time, I fast-forwarded to the middle of the call.
2: I believe I may have been somewhat short with you, and uh, perhaps when you were asking questions about the Jerry Quinn, I- I'm like everyone. I'm I'm horrified to have learned of Mr. Quinn's demise. That was quite quite shocking. Uh, however. I've recently come into some information that I thought may be of interest to you. It appears that perhaps Mr. Quinn, albeit a strange and incorrigible and perhaps even unconventional uh, artist, uh, may have been actually the savior of our festival. I, I don't want to leave too much information or a message. I'd I prefer that... Uh, We met in person, and perhaps you could meet with our treasurer, Fiona McGregor. You have my number, and uh, I look forward to speaking with you. Good day.
0: The next voicemail was disturbing. Hey, are you the uh, reporter that's
2: looking into the death of uh, Jerry Quinn? Uh I'm sure you've reached out to the police, but... If you haven't, you're not going to find shit there. Jerry Quinn was a complete douchebag. But he didn't deserve what came to him. Uh, that festival was was dying on the vine. and He was a sacrificial lamb. Only he didn't know it. You're not going to find anything out until you talk to the people that didn't want that festival to happen. And, I, and don't try to find me. Because even if I know shit, I ain't saying it. I like my head where it is.
0: After listening to the voice of the altered call over and over, I still didn't have a clue as to who it was and why they were calling. So I decided to put off watching the next three artists' audition tapes and headed back to Cape June for some answers. It was a gorgeous early October afternoon and a perfect day for a drive to Cape June. I wish I was going down to sit on the beach and relax in the sun or even walk the promenade. But I had a darker task. To find out who cut the head off of Jerry Quinn. I hadn't talked to the Cape June Police Department in a few days. I mean, I hadn't talked to Annie, the receptionist at the Cape June Police Department, or left my umpteenth message for the Phantom Cape June Police Chief. So what the hell? I thought I would give them a call. Speaking. Annie, good afternoon. I'm calling from my car. This is Connor Avery Tuxton. Hey,
3: Connor. Long time no talk. How have you been?
0: Well, I've been fine. Thank you, Annie. I hope you're doing well. Oh, I'm fine.
3: You know, once in a while I get that pain in my big toe, though. What happened this morning? I think they call it a hammer
0: toe. That sounds painful. Hey, listen, Annie. I left a message for the chief and I still haven't gotten a return call. Connor,
3: hon, did you ever realize that you're a cat?
0: I beg your pardon?
3: Your initials, common Avery Tech. Tuck, i Tuckston. That spells C-A-T-Cat. Cat.
0: Yes, that, that's true.
3: Don't tell me no one's ever noticed that before.
0: No, many people have noticed it. In fact, I used to have it on my band jacket. Uh, that's what you would see for where my name was. In all capital letters, it said CAT.
3: How about that? What'd you play?
0: I played the sousaphone
3: the
0: one that it's like a smaller tuba it's in the tuba family easy to march with hey listen annie i need to speak with the chief please
3: well chief dyson he's under the weather today you know one of those early fall colds but i hope it's not the flu i harp on these people to get their flu shots
0: yeah, Annie, that's fine. But but listen, this is very important, and I, and I'm sorry to cut you off. But I haven't been able to speak with anyone, and I really need to speak with someone there. Maybe an officer who's on duty. Oh,
3: uh, yes, yeah, sir. Sure. Um, Sergeant Frolic is in tonight. Um, shift starts at seven.
0: Sergeant Frolic, thank you. I'll will try back after seven. Thank you, Annie. Right now. Bye bye. When I got to Cape June, I still had a few hours to kill, so I took a drive out to Lighthouse Beach to look for Duffy, Jerry's old sidekick. But there was no sign of him. He was probably somewhere deep under the ocean trying to summon Flipper or something. And then I took a nice little stroll on the promenade, got some caramel corn, and found myself in Mother Shuckers. The bartender there said that they were giving Rusty, Jerry's daughter, a little time off said the owner thought it was in the best interest of her and the safety of the establishment that Rusty should disappear for a while. I thought that was interesting. He reminded me that these suspects still haven't been apprehended. Kind of a sobering thought. And lo and behold, as I was leaving the bar, who do I see? But Carl, our old friend who propositioned me last time I saw him. Let's see what Carl has to say today.
1: I just was uh, sitting here having my drinks, and uh, you know, I'm a little confused by all this stuff, man. It's hard for me to understand what's going on here in Cape June. And my friend Jerry.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry, Carl. I imagine this can't be easy for you. Hey, do me a favor. Just keep your eyes and ears open, okay?
1: I'll tell you what. You need to be down at the docks. A lot of activity going on down there. The other night, I saw some of them police. They were pulling stuff out of the water and putting it in bags. And you're 100% sure? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went and checked it out when they were done. I wanted to see what was going on myself. I pulled something out of the water. It looks like a penis.
0: I guess I walked right into that one. One thing about Carl is he is predictable. (laughs) turned out what he found was actually a paper bag with a lint roller inside of it, and maybe to him that kind of resembled a penis. But I would say it's strange. It seems that I've gotten the most information on this case from a guy who's always intoxicated and is fixated on the male genitalia. So, in a way, I'm thankful that I have Carl to talk to. Now I'm headed to meet Officer Froelich.
4: My name is Officer Douglas Froelich. I've been a police officer for 22 years, 13 of which have been with Cape June Police Department. Before that, I worked in upstate New York.
0: Officer, my sources tell me that there was some potential evidence discovered the other evening. Can, can you tell us what happened?
4: At around 1700 hours this past Tuesday evening, I arrived on the fishing docks in my patrol cruiser and shortly thereafter boarded to the dive vessel where the aforementioned suspected murder weapon was recovered. From there, I secured the weapon and proceeded to the coroner's office with said weapon. I I was totally unaware of this. What is the murder weapon? A large axe. Similar to what may be used by a firefighter. Wooden handle, stainless steel blade. And it was discovered where? The bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Roughly 150 yards away from the shore, in the vicinity where the other victim was found. Can you tell us if you have any suspects or, or you know who the axe belongs to? I'm not at liberty to comment on an ongoing investigation at this time.
0: Right after my meeting with Officer Frolic, I texted Holly Sanovio, the coroner, and asked when she could meet. As luck would have it, she was in the office, so I decided to pay her a visit. What exactly do we have here?
3: This is an axe that would be used by a firefighter. We believe that this is more of a ceremonial axe because of the little nail holes here on the handle. That would have held some type of engraving, maybe a little brass plate.
0: So do you have the little plate that would go on here?
3: Unfortunately, that was not recovered, so we don't know who the axe belongs to.
0: But, re- but regardless, this must be a huge break in the case.
3: Major. Connor, would you mind following me?
0: Sure. Where are we headed?
3: Uh, just right outside the back door. I have some boards here. Not that it matters, but this is pine. It's a little softer.
0: Okay, and I guess... Could
3: you uh, stand back over there and put these on? I'm going to strike the board.
0: So right now I'm putting on goggles, and let's see. Holly, Dr. Synovial is walking over to the board with the axe. Ah! Okay.
3: Sorry about that. I have a lot of pent-up rage. I see. My mother-in-law just moved in with us. And that kind of puts pressure on a marriage that's only three months old. Okay. She's an evil bitch, but I digress. Let's go back inside.
0: You certainly have a hearty swing there. There's, uh, Jerry's head again.
3: His head clearly wasn't severed by an executioner. Look at all the hits around his neck. These are consistent in diameter with axe hits in the board, and it gives a big clue to our gouged out eyes. See, when you turn the axe around, it's a pick.
0: I see. So, so the murderer used the pick side-
3: Yes, to tear out Mr. Quinn's eyes from his head?
0: Can I ask you, can you verify 100% that this is the murder weapon used to kill Jerry Quinn?
3: I would say yes, without a doubt.
0: Finally, it seems like we're getting some answers. But that just leads to more questions. There's a murder weapon but still no suspect or suspects. And I wonder why Captain Pethybridge wants me to talk to the treasurer of the Cape June Yacht Club. Curiouser and curiouser. For Mid-Atlantic Broadcasting, I'm Connor Avery Tuxton, and this is Painted Seas, the murder of Jerry Quinn.